In my previous house, we lived in it for about 15 years. It was a long place when my previous church down the south coast. After moving in, we, we very quickly became, a, became apparent to us. We realised that the phone number for our house was just one digit different from the local club. Now, I know what, you know where this is going. So we would quite regularly field calls to book a table at the bistro. It would happen on a regular occurrence. I was tempted after a few years to sort of ring up the club and, I don't know, make a complaint or to sort of change the phone number, but it was a regular occurrence. And, 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 and I kind of was tempted on occasion to actually take the booking <laughs> and indeed let them know that they're the lucky seventh caller and they get a free chicken parmigiana. But I, I resisted that temptation. I, I heard of another minister just recently, perhaps a little bit more gracious than I, a little bit more patient than I, a little bit more willing to put himself out for those around him. And he had the same issue, not with the local club, but with the local library. You see, uh, his name was Tom Erickson, and his home phone number was one digit different from the local dial a story number. See, the local library had set up a, a service for kids that might not have a parents that could read to them. And you could ring up and it was a recording of different fairy tales. So a child could ring up whenever they want and hear a recording of a fairy tale. Well, of course, Tom, like myself, regularly got phone calls from children wanting to hear a fairy tale. Now, Tom would have been well within his rights to say, sorry, I don't, I don't, wrong number, and get a little bit frustrated, ring up the library and perhaps say something, maybe even change his phone number. But Tom Erickson, to his credit, took this as an opportunity. He decided that rather than waste this opportunity, rather than sort of get a little bit stroppy about the imposition on his time, he actually got a copy of The Three Little Pigs and set it down beside his phone. So when he got the phone call, he would read a, a story. He would read the three, little the three Little Pigs to whatever child that rang up. Tom was willing to put himself out. He was willing to say, you know what, my own wants and my own comfort and my time isn't actually as important as blessing these children that God, in his grace, for some reason, is sending my way. Just a little microcosm of what Paul is talking about today here in our chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, chapter 9. Paul really, other than Jesus himself, is the man most responsible for the gospel really spreading throughout the world. Paul was a Pharisee. He was one of those very stuck-up religious types. And in fact, he was a persecutor of God's church. He would go around persecuting Christians. He had an encounter, a famous encounter, on the road to Damascus. You might still hear that phrase used in society. A road to Damascus moment means a, a radical conversion. He was radically set free and went from becoming a persecutor of God's church to a, an on-fire believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. God called him to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles. That is the non-Jewish world. He went from being a Jew among Jews, ticking all the religious boxes, to actually being a servant to the pagan world, the Gentile world. And he, perhaps more than any other, other than Jesus himself, is responsible for spreading the gospel throughout the Roman Empire and indeed to the very ends of the earth. And here we are today in Sydney, Australia. So let's have a look at what he's got to say about doing whatever it takes 
to make sure that other people hear the good news of Jesus Christ, even if it means putting yourself out. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, just a few verses through to uh, 19 through to verse 33. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to those, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit you might reveal yourself to us this morning. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. Father, we pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, Amen. Paul starts off by affirming that he is free. He has freedom in Christ. He he has found Christ. He's discovered Christ. Christ met him on the road to Damascus. He's radically turned his life around. He is free from the burden of, of the incredibly heavy law that his society would, would, would put upon him, and he is now radically free. He is, he is set free. Paul is telling us that as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is, it is really the way to be, to be free, free from the burdens of worrying about the things of this world. I can testify that coming to Christ is indeed a very freeing, the most freeing thing you could possibly do. If you are still weighed down, worrying about what the world thinks, can I encourage you to lay that down? Set yourself free from that terrible burden. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I am freed from having to impress anybody. I live my life for an audience of one, God himself. And it is so liberating. It is so liberating. It is the only way to live your life in the abundant manner in which God has intended for you to live. He says he is, he is free, he belongs to no man. He's not ultimately answerable to any man, but he says, and yet, I've made myself like a, like a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. So this is the first little dichotomy you need to get our head around. We are free, but we use our freedom to serve and to love. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote a wonderful little couplet uh, that goes like this. He said, a Christian is perfectly free, a Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Perfectly free, but perfectly free to serve and to love all. We willingly submit. We willingly put ourselves out for the sake of the gospel, to love and to serve whoever God puts in our past. In our past. 
I've got a bit of alliteration this morning to uh, help us apply this. Firstly, I think in order to be like this, in order to own this freedom, in order to love and serve, we need to wave my ways in order to win the worldly. I wave my ways, my own rights and responsibilities in order to win the worldly. Now, Paul was a Jew among Jews. He was a Pharisee and he was a Roman citizen. That carried a fair amount of rights and privileges. He was an apostle in the church. He could have demanded that he be served. He could have walked into a, any church he wanted to and demanded all sorts of rights. He could have demanded all sorts of, of things. He, he was a, also a Roman citizen, which gave, opened a lot of doors for him as well. Paul had a, had a foot in both camps. That's what made him really special, really uniquely placed to be able to drive the gospel forward. He understood all the tenets of Judaism and he was a Roman citizen. So he had all sorts of, of rights and privileges that many other people didn't, but he, he laid them down. He said, I'm not going to choose to, to, to sort of make other people sort of bow down to me. No, no, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to be a servant of all. And earlier in verse 12 in that, in that chapter, he says, he says, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. He was willing to put up with difficulties and challenges in order that the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, might advance. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel. It's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Because I think we don't like putting up with anything. When I think of myself, when I'm honest with myself, I don't actually quite like putting up with some things. If that is the calling that I've received and that you have received, we are called to put up with whatever the world throws at us, lest the gospel be hindered in this world. Now, he's very open, isn't he, about his motivations. Paul is very upfront about what he's on about. In this passage, he repeatedly tells us he, he, everything that he does, everything that he says is underpinned, inspired by, driven by, guided by, his desire to win as many people as he possibly can to Christ. He uses this term five times to win people to Christ. He's winning people to Christ. Now that does sort of communicate to us that there is in fact a bit of a competition going on. He's trying to win people from the world to Christ. He's trying to, to win them over. Then like now, there is a series of competing worldviews. The modern Aussie world today is increasingly like the context in the early church. The Christian worldview is, is no longer just assumed. It's no longer dominant. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, our Christian understanding of how the world works, has to compete in the marketplace of ideas. There are different and competing, mutually exclusive worldviews crashing into one another in society today. Don't be fooled, don't be conned. They are not all the same. All religions are not the same. I had this conversation uh, out in the mall, in Christmas in the mall. A lady tried to tell me all religions are the same. Oh, the Muslims, they believe the same thing that you do. And as graciously as I tried to explain, no, it, that's not really how it works. For example, Jesus Christ 
is either God's son, is either God incarnate, God in skin, or he is not. Islam and Christianity can't both be right. Now, they can both be wrong, of course, intellectually speaking, but intellectually speaking, Islam and Christianity cannot both be right. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just not intellectually feasible to, to think that way. There are different, competing, mutually exclusive worldviews competing for hearts and minds. And Paul is very open that he's out there to win people for Christ. Then he switches from the language of winning. In verse 22, he uses the language of save, doesn't he? He says, I try to win these people, win these people, win these people, and then save these people. Which then begs the question, save them from, from what, of course? You hear this term, we've got to save people. We use it all the time in the church. It rolls off our tongue, but what do we really mean by it? I mean, what are we actually saving people from? Well, again, Paul is very clear about this. Paul is upfront about that. In perhaps most clear in Romans, in chapter 5, he says, having been justified by his blood on the cross, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. Paul is very clear that Christ's atoning work on the cross saves us from God's wrath. I'll be derelict in my duty this morning, church, if I didn't let you know and state very clearly that you will one day face judgment. It's not a popular concept these days, but the gospel is clear. The scriptures are clear. Each one of us will one day face an accounting. We will one day face judgment. And the person that speaks most clearly about that, in fact, is Jesus himself. Jesus himself speaks very clearly about this, that we will face judgment. They are very clear that God has not destined us for, for wrath, but by obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, says Paul, that Jesus saves us from God's wrath. If we are in him, we are cleansed, we are made right with God once more. The problem with sin is that it separates us from God. There's lots of different ways of thinking about it. Personally speaking, I like to think of it as a, as a broken relationship. The Christian faith isn't a religion as it is a relationship with God. That's a language that I find helpful out in the marketplace. I invite you to use the same. Perhaps you have a better way of thinking about it. But the Christian faith is a relationship, a living, breathing relationship with God. And sin breaks that relationship. A perfectly holy God cannot stand the presence of, of anything less than perfection. And we are all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We face God's judgment and wrath, but thanks be to God, Jesus has atoned for our sin. We are washed clean, whiter than the snow. We are made right with God. We are reconciled with God. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is very clear. He's trying to save people from God's wrath and judgment, eternal separation from God. It's a terrible fate. Let's be doing all that we can to win people out of earthly arguments and understandings to save them from God's wrath, bring them out into his love, into, his, into the eternal life that he has prepared for us. So in order to do that, we waive our own ways uh, to win the worldly. But we also uh, need to make sure that, that we're not simply uh, stuck in our, in our ways that we sometimes need to connect with culture without, conform, without conforming our conduct. 
We need to connect with culture without conforming our, our conduct. We're all about our own rights these days and we're all about making sure that, that I'm getting my rights. But if we really are wanting to change the world for Jesus Christ, uh, we're going to have to give up some of our rights. Our right to only associate with the people who are like us. Our right, And it is your right, you can choose to block people. You can defriend them on Facebook. You can do whatever you want. You can not pick up the phone. You have a right to only associate with the people that you want to. But as a follower of Jesus, maybe, he's calling you to lay that right down. Your right to be comfortable. Your right to relaxation. Your right to use your financial resources any way that you like. Your right to determine your own schedule in the way that best brings pleasure and glory to you. You're right not to be bothered by all those wrong numbers on the telephone. This is the case collectively, and indeed as a church as well, churches can often get stuck in this mindset of this little holy huddle, this, this gathering being all about us. Church, this gathering is not actually ultimately all about us. We gather together in order that we might be equipped and trained and built up and encouraged for mission out in our world. That's what this gathering is all about. We build one another up. We sing praises to God. We are equipped. We are taught. We, are, we, we encourage one another for our mission out in the world. And we do that by connecting with the culture without conforming our conduct. Now, Paul had grown up as a Jew. This would have been very hard for Paul. I think we saw, oh, Paul was a Jew, and then he sort of became a Christian. You have to understand, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jew among Jews. He, he was the most holy and most righteous person there was. He could tick every single box. But then he's, he's radically set free, and he was called to actually engage with really pagan culture, stuff that would have absolutely disgusted a good Jew. It would have been repulsive for a good Jew to go and and encounter some of the ways that the rest of the world was living. It would have been really hard for him. He would have had to have fought really hard within himself to stop the old Jewish sensibilities bubbling up within him and, and thinking and saying judgmental stuff. So Paul had to conform the ways of living as a Jew to, to, in order to connect with the people around him. Got to connect with the culture without without conforming your, your conduct. It is a challenge sometimes. Sometimes when we're out in the culture, can I encourage you to, to maybe just be asking yourself, giving yourself this little test, who's influencing who? Am I influencing them with my godliness and Christ-likeness, or in fact, are they having more of an impact on me? Each of us, I think, are going to have to draw boundaries in a little bit of a different place. Maybe you're one of those people that can really go deep into the heart of pagan Aussie culture and, and not be impacted by it. I think of people such as the God Squad, Christian bikers. Is anyone here familiar with the God Squad? Christian bikers. I mean, those guys deal with hardcore, let's be honest, criminals. They're able to stand firm and be salt and light in that little subculture. Other people I know are, are very much influenced by cultures around them. They need to be very careful about the movies that they go to see, 
the TV shows that they go to, so the places where they go, the other people that they interact with. So can I encourage you just to do a bit of a self-assessment? Which way is the influence going? Am I influencing people with godliness and Christ-likeness? Or is it actually flowing the other way? And am I taking on, am I taking on some, some worldliness? We're going to have to be careful that we're not stuck in isolation. I think one of the challenges for Christians, and I feel it all the time, ministers are particularly susceptible to living in the little Christian cotton wool cocoon. We hang out with Christian people. We listen to Christian music. We listen to the Christian radio stations. We listen to the Christian podcasts, right? We live in our own little world. It's a real danger. It is, it is a real challenge. We're not called to live in a Christian cocoon. We are called to be missionaries. Remember, Jesus himself was a missionary. Jesus is the ultimate missionary. Jesus left his, his heavenly home in perfect communion with the Father and, and the Son and the Spirit and came and lived here on earth. He's the ultimate cross-cultural missionary. And Paul knew this. Paul understood this. He understood that being in mission is stitched into the DNA of our church. If a church ceases to be missional, if it ceases to be evangelistic in wanting to proclaim the good news, share the good news, then we cease to become church. If we're not missional, are we really church? A little bit like skim milk. If you take the fat out of it, is it really milk? <laughs> One of my little pet peeves. If a church ceases to be missional, if you take the mission out of church, is it really church? I don't think so. So we need to be careful about living in isolation. And we also need to be careful about imitating the world by being so willing to be out in the world that we lose our saltiness, our distinctiveness. Uh, we need to make sure that we are actually offering a point of difference, that we are actually offering a, a contrast. Paul famously again says elsewhere in Romans chapter 12, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. What good are we if we're exactly like the rest of the world in every way? We need to be distinctive. We need to be salt and light. Do your friends, work colleagues know that you're a Christian? Can they see it in the way that you talk and act? Where is it that you connect? Where is it that, that you can, in fact, be salt and light, offer a, a point of difference? Look, for me, it's sport. It's always been sport. Uh, I, I played a lot of tennis over the years. Uh, I played a bit of cricket. And these days, I'm a pickleball evangelist. And those guys all know that I'm a Christian. They all know, eventually, I, I don't make a big song and dance about it. But after a while, conversation comes up. What do you do, Pete? Well, I'm the minister at church in the marketplace. And they stack, take a step back. Well, look out. All of a sudden, their language cleans up a little bit. <laughs> but after a while, I hopefully earn the respect of the blokes in the local tennis community, local cricketing community, local pickleball community, perhaps. Uh, another way that I do that is another great way of actually making this real in your life. Another way of applying this is through uh, a wonderful new app called Meetup. Is anyone familiar with Meetup? 
It is a wonderful way of connecting with like-minded people. I went to a couple of meetups just this past week. Uh, I went to a book club. You can join various different kinds of, of book clubs of all different stripes and colours. Personally speaking, I went to the Austrian Economics Book Club. That's just the, the, the nerd that I am. Uh, a, group, a group of people gathering together. I was the new boy. And, and it became apparent that some of the people in the group just didn't shut up and didn't stop talking. And I was, I was the new boy, but I was able to offer, hopefully, some, some gracious insights. And I, and I felt people sort of gravitating, wanting to know more about me. What do you do, Peter? I'm the local, I'm a Uniting Church minister. Okay. And they wanting to know more. The questions started coming. Uh, by God's grace, I've also been called to be a, a police chaplain. I'm a volunteer police chaplain. Our church council uh, said, yes, Pete, go and, and we give you some time. We're setting you free for a period of your week to go and, and serve the local uh, police area command. And, and just a couple of nights ago, I got a phone call uh, very late at night. I spent some time down at Rose Bay Police Station because the police had to deal with really difficult stuff late at night. Now, I've been doing that now for a couple of months. So I've fronted up, just been there, and just this week, slowly but surely, the questions start coming. They start to sidle up. Now, Peter, what religion are you? They want to know which religion I am. I say, well, I know what they're asking, and I, and I, I try to be gracious, and I, I don't want to sort of correct their language. Oh, well, I'm I'm the minister up at church in the marketplace, you know, in the mall at Bondi Junction. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And then they ask, so are you being paid for this? No, they're blown away that I'm not being paid to be there. The questions are starting to come because I'm, church council has allowed me this space to step out of the church, out into the world, and to be salt and light, to do whatever it takes in, in that environment, not to push my faith on anyone else, but just to be there as a listening ear for any of the police officers that want to chat about some of the tough stuff that they have to deal with every single day. What's your connection? That's how I do it. They're the avenues that I'm called into. Where, where are you making these connections? At work or, 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 or at play? So can I encourage you to, to make sure that when you're seeking to engage these people, that you're waving your way or waving your rights in order to, to win the worldly, in order to, to save the worldly, to connect with the culture without conforming your, your conduct. Remain salty. Remain distinctive. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but offer a better story, a better way of living. Not living in isolation and not falling into straight imitation either. But by maintaining your, by modifying your methods, wherever God might be calling you to just change a word here or there, uh, to make sure that you are indeed making those connections this week. Paul was willing to do whatever it takes to maintain your methods, 
whilst maintaining the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is unchanging. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I encourage you this week to be thinking about how you can be like Paul in being all things to all people in order to win some. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help in this task. It is indeed a weighty one. It is indeed a challenging one. We pray for your help in knowing how we can best be all things to all people. Not being wishy-washy, not being blown this way and that by whatever prevailing winds of the culture around us happen to tell us to be and do, but to stand firm in the gospel, the unchanging gospel, offering words of hope, offering the abundant life that Jesus came to offer. May the world see through us the life abundant, the life eternal that you make freely available to all through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.